Well, good morning, Hickory family. I am honored to be with you this morning, giving Pastor Justin some well-deserved R&R and bringing you a message that I've entitled From This Day Forward, where we're going to be taking a look at several keys to having a great marriage, a marriage that grows stronger, a marriage that grows healthier, a marriage that honors God. And no matter where you are in a season of life relative to marriage, these relational keys, relationship keys, have a lot of applicability, a lot of value in all of our relationships, family, friends, uh, co-workers, neighbors. So I'm going to aim at everybody today and hopefully hit, hit most of you. I've had the uh, honor of officiating many weddings in my 10 years as a pastor. And there are verses found in 1 Corinthians 13, commonly referred to as the love verses, the wedding verses, right? Love is patient, love is kind. I've spoken them at all the weddings I've officiated. They were spoken at our wedding, Suzanne and mine, 25 years ago. Maybe they were spoken at yours. Uh, Here is a verse found in 1 Corinthians, just a few chapters earlier, uh, having specifically to do with marriage, that I guarantee you is the least quoted, the least read verse at weddings. You ready for it? Here it is. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you. <laughs> Paul, his, his heart, he, he knew, right? Life is hard. In this world, we'll have many trials and hardships. For the individual, you put two individuals together, guess what? going to have many troubles in this life. His heart was to spare you of those. That's my heart today. I want to help spare you of those. If you're at the front end of relationships, I want to help set you up for success. If you've been doing relationships for a while, I want to help encourage you, bring clarity from the truth of God's word, and maybe even possibly a little holy conviction. That would be awesome. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. The cost of not doing this, the cost of not talking about this is stark. I looked at some statistics in preparation for today. In 2020, across this country, on average, 41% of all marriages end in divorce. You get married a second time, that jumps up to over 60%. Third marriages, 73%. I want to say something, because I know some of us in this church have walked through that. My heart, there's no guilt. There's no condemnation. Pastor Justin's heart, the heart of Hickory Ridge, is not to add any weight in additional to the weight you've already, the pain you've already walked through if you've gone through a divorce. We're to learn from the past but not live in the past. This message is entitled, From This Day Forward, right? But from this day forward, if we aim at nothing, guess what we're going to hit, right? So my heart is to aim for Jesus and what he says about marriage. Uh, But Those numbers are stark, and they are sobering, and there's a whole host of reasons why they exist, not least of which are unrealistic and therefore unmet expectations. Too often, too many of us enter into marriage with this idea that it's going to be the solution to all of life's problems, that getting married is going to meet all of our deep emotional needs, that getting married is going to eliminate things like loneliness, that getting married is going to reduce things like sexual temptation. The fact about the matter is simply walking down the aisle, simply saying I do doesn't solve 
any of those issues. If it did, those numbers would be a heck of a lot better. One thing I've learned is this. The truth about the matter is this. A great marriage, a great marriage is possible, and a great marriage requires a commitment to the covenant that you make to God and to each other, and that you make to God and remake and remake and remake. So I want to spend our time together talking about three relationship keys. But before we jump in, a couple of quick notes. First of all, marriage is such a deep dive. Marriage is such a meaty topic, multi-layered topic. All of our relationships are a little different, right? I want to encourage you. This is a relationship that's so easy to have aspects of it get pushed down into the dark. I want to encourage you to shine a light on it, and you can only do that by talking, right? The book of James says, confess one to another so that you may start the healing process. I want to encourage you to shine a light on it. That's my heart today. And obviously, foundationally, to talk to God in prayer, and just as obviously to talk to your spouse, to shine light on it. But I also want to encourage you to seek out trusted friends, those who are walking this life journey with Jesus as well, that that are for you, that believe God's best for you. I want to encourage you also to take advantage of pastoral counsel. I want to encourage you to take advantage of professional Christian counseling. This church will partner with you financially in order to make that happen. This is a Sunday morning, 30,000-foot survey. I'm going to aim at everyone, hope to hit most of you kind of approach, and I'm honored to do it. But we got to shine light in an area where the enemy likes to get in there and likes to divide. Second thing I want to say is kind of a good news, bad news situation. What do you want first? All right. Good news? Okay. The good news is that these relationship keys, they are easy to understand. They are easy to comprehend. Challenging news is that they're, they're difficult to walk out because they're not just to be walked out when your feelings support them. They're not just to be walked out on special occasions, her birthday, your anniversary. These relationship keys need to be walked out each and every day. A daily commitment, layer by layer, moment by moment, conversation by conversation, day by day, commitment. So the first relationship key I want to point to in light of that statement is a priority key. Next to our relationship with God, this is the most important human relationship we should have. So it needs to be a priority. Suzanne and I grew up Catholic and got married in the Catholic Church. We had a priest who officiated our wedding and conducted our premarital counseling. His name was Father James J. O'Connor. Nice Italian guy, right? And he, he was wise. He was, uh, I remember one time we, we drove to one of the counseling appointments. Suzanne and I got into an argument Surprise, surprise. We got into an argument. And we're getting closer to the church, and we said, all right, we got to get our grip. You know, we were both professionals working with, in teams with office, in office environments. We got out of the car. Good morning, Father O'Connor. How are you? Beautiful day today. Yeah, yeah. We sat down. Like, what's going on? I'm like, what? What? I sense tension. I'm like, oh, he, he had a lot of wise things to say to us at really that critical season of our life. And one of the things he said to us is, Andy, Suzanne, Marriage isn't 50-50. It sounds good, right? You kind of think marriage should be 50-50, right? Even Stephen, fair square. Marriage isn't 50-50. Divorce is, right? You get divorced, good lawyers will cut everything down the middle. Time, possessions, money, access to kids. 
Marriage isn't 50-50. Divorce is. Unfortunately, though, too many of us allow a 50-50 mentality to creep into our marriages. It may start subtle, subtly. It may only start in an area or two. What, what I call 50-50 marriages are a mine and your marriage, mine and yours marriage. I'm, I'm number one in a 50-50. I'm the priority, and my focus is on my spouse to make sure my spouse is doing what I think they need to be doing. It, like I said, it could start off subtly in just one or two areas. You know, I got my interests and they have theirs. And on the face of it, right, we're two different people. Nothing wrong with that. But if we don't check this mentality, if we don't check this perspective, it will grow. My interest and their interest and my hobbies and their hobbies and my time and their time and my friends and their friends and my money and their money. And pretty soon we start to go in our different directions. And when the temperature's low and the volume's low and comparatively everything seems calm, what do you think's going to happen when everything gets turned up? We're just going to keep doing that, but we're going to do that in even greater measure. A mine in your relationship starts that way. It can start very contractually, somewhat conditionally. It's not a what's mine is yours. It's a there's mine and there's yours. And I'm a visual person, so I want to put this graphic up. I mean, 50-50 on the face of it, right? It's even Steven, right? Everything's fair and square. I want to draw your attention to that line down the middle. Sometimes in a 50-50 marriage, that line can be razor thin. You can barely see it. Other times, be pretty thick. Everybody going to see it, right? But that line divides. That line separates. And if we allow this 50-50 mentality to grow in our marriages, then that's what happens. It becomes a, there's mine and there's yours. It starts to sound like this. It starts to sound like, if you expect me to meet your needs, then you must meet mine. I'll do my share of the work if you do your share. Again, the priority's me, and my focus is on you, kind of like a a tennis court, right? I'm going to look over the net to your side of the court to make sure you're doing what I think you should be doing. Your, your share of the work, your end of the deal. I'll go the extra mile for you if you go the extra mile for me. We might bargain to have that line move over. You got a lot on your plate. Or maybe you're not feeling well. I might move it 60, 40, 70, 30. Bet your bottom dollar that line's going to move back and then guess what? It's got to be even. It's got to be fair. I'll give up something for you, but I expect you to give up something for me. And then if we allow it, if we don't check it, if we don't talk about it, then it becomes, I will love you as long as you love me, as long as I determine that what you're doing for me equals love. Well, then I'm there. But as soon as, if and only if, as long as that doesn't happen, well, then I'm out of here. When Suzanne and I surrendered our lives to the Lord and started opening up the Bible and letting it breathe into our lives, we recognized that 50-50 fair square, even Stephen, is not God's approach. So the first thought was, okay, it's not 50-50, it's 100-100, right? We've got to double our efforts. We've got to give more of ourselves to each other. But I'm here to tell you that just working harder, just trying 
More is not winning strategy at all. It's not a percentage change. It's a priority change. And so what I call 100-100 marriage is not a mine, and, a mine and, and yours. It's a God and yours. God is number one. And my spouse is number two. Our, our perspective needs to change. We're, there's no hope for any of us to give 100% to our spouse unless we surrender ourselves to God. You know, God who created marriage, the God who uh, defines marriage, the God who tells us how marriage is best walked out. When we do that, when we have that perspective shift, that attitude change, then things start to sound a lot different. Instead of, if you expect me to meet your needs, then you must meet mine, it sounds something like this. In order to meet your needs, I must continually surrender my life to him. Those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, we surrendered our lives. We gave our lives to him in a moment. We call that salvation. And then in a real way, we get up every day after that asking ourselves, what does that salvation decision mean for me today? Days later, months later, years later, decades later, what does it mean for me today? Am I continually walking with him? Am I continually hearing from him about the areas of my life that I have yet to surrender? Am I coming to church on Sunday singing, I surrender all, except for these three or four things? These are mine. I'm the God of these. Or am I walking with him to say, I hear you, Lord, and I want to open these up to you? We call that sanctification. God's desire is for you and I to be sanctified. In order, if I have any hope of meeting Suzanne's needs, I got to continually walk with God in relationship, continually choosing him, re-choosing him, continually hearing from him, continually surrendering more and more of my life over to him. Instead of I'll do my share of the work if and only if I inspect and confirm you're doing your share, it sounds like this. I'll do my share of the work because I'm most like Christ when I serve. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Give my life as a ransom for many. Servanthood is not what I do. A servant is who I am. Instead of, I'll go the extra mile for, mo- for you, then you need to go the extra mile for me. It's, I'll go the extra mile for you because of his great love for me. That's the model of Jesus. We read the scriptures. He would go off by himself or with just one or two and pray, meditate, commune with God to get filled up. If I have any hope of meeting Suzanne's needs, I can't just double 50 to 100 and think I'm going to get there. I got to fill up with God. I got to receive his love anew. I got to get broken by the gospels again and again and again so that I can pour out. Instead of if I'll give up something for you, I expect you to give up something for me. Even Stephen, Ferris Square, it's I'll give up something for you because a life lived for Christ involves sacrifice. You know, my parents were growing up. The new invention was television. The first, first family in the neighborhood that had a TV. They were the popular family. And then when I was growing up, it was the first family in the neighborhood that had cable TV. They were the popular family. When we first got married, the new invention was digital cable. 
I don't know if any of you remember that, if you're old enough to remember that, but it took 40, 50 channels and turned it into four or 500 channels. And that presented a problem for me. Because growing up one more time around the dial was a, a literal thing. And then when it exploded to four or 500 channels when we first got married, man, did I just realize all the things that I didn't know I needed to watch. And I wasted a lot of hours and, and burned through a lot of time. Kind of like the TikTok of today, right? You can just realize, man, I just wasted a half an hour here, lost a few brain cells just kind of scrolling through. That was digital cable. And I realized as the Bible was becoming more and more applied to my life, as my relationship with God was becoming more and more real to me, a life with Christ involved sacrifice. So I got rid of digital cable for like three, four, five years. We went down to basic, just the networks and weather channel. It was a hoot, but I needed that time to kind of get some self-control in my life. I'll give up something for you because a life lived for Christ involves sacrifice. And then finally, it doesn't just describe aspects of your marriage. It describes the sum total of your marriage. It's not, I'll love you as long as you love me. And as soon as I think you don't, man, then I'm out of here like Vladimir, right? It's, I love you because he first loved me. But what God says to us is, I love you. I love you, Andy. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. That's the love he has for me. That's the love he has for you. And that's the unending, unconditional, sacrificial love. If we have any hope of making our marriages a priority and giving 100% to each other. So the first key is a priority key. It's the most important human relationship you should have. The second is just as important. It's a pursuit key. It's a pursuit key. Now, for a few moments, I want to just talk to the folks who are dating. Maybe you're going to be dating in the short term. Maybe you're dating right now. I want to talk to you because it's in this season of life where the pursuit is the strongest, where the emotions are the greatest, right? And I want to contrast the world's way of dating with God's way. And I kind of tongue-in-cheek called the world's way the hallmark way, you know, <laughs> Probably because there's a fair amount of Hallmark played in my house. <laughs> Different characters, same script. You all know the story, right? It's not the big city person that's interested in their career and their resume and their bank account. It's the small town person that was there all along that ends up becoming the right person. And you find them and they meet and they fall head over heels and they live happily ever after and there's a dog and it snows, you know, whatever. Right? <laughs> The hallmark way is you find the right person, right? You're looking for that quote-unquote right person, and then you follow your emotions. You follow your feelings, and you fall in love. And then you fix all your hopes and dreams upon them. And that's a lot of weight to carry, a lot of weight to manage. And then if failure occurs, obviously they weren't the right person. So you repeat those steps to try to find Mr. or Mrs. Right. I want to contrast that with God's way. God's way, instead of finding the right person, become the right person. Andy Stanley preached a series a few years back, and he famously said, 
Become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Don't worry about finding the right person. Become the right person. Things like character, things like authenticity, your walk matching your talk. The things that the person you're looking for is going to go, yes and amen to. And then instead of following your emotions and falling in love, to walk in love. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have, the love that you show, the love that you speak one to another. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Our feelings will get us off track. Our feelings will fade. Our feelings will distort. Walk in love. Fix all your hopes and dreams upon God who never changes, who's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, who'll never leave you or forsake you. And then when, and then if failure, I should have, probably should have written when failure occurs because we will get off track. We will get distracted. Our feelings will at times overwhelm us. Then repeat these steps. Become the right person. Walk in love. Fix all your hopes and dreams upon God. Now I'm going to invite everybody. The, the married folks, you were just eavesdropping on that. Now, now I want to invite everyone back in. Because we can too easily, if, when we're married, think we, we pursued and now we don't need to pursue anymore. Right? The pursuit may look different, but it, it should never end. So I want to give you a couple quick things to think about if you're married to continually pursue your spouse. The first thing is this. When you think something encouraging about your spouse, say it. You think something encouraging about your spouse, say it. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think about such things. I want to encourage you, when you think about such things having to do with your spouse, say it. Don't let the moment pass. Don't just assume that they know how I feel because I said it once three years ago. You think something encouraging about your spouse, say it. Hebrews 3.13 says this, but encourage one another daily. As long, I love that, as long as it is called today. Today is a real gift. Today is a real gift. What, what are we doing with that gift? As long as it is called today so that none of us may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I can tell you, married to Suzanne Salino for 25 years, with her for 30, you all could say something to me. But if she said those very same words because of the depth of our experiences, because of the memories that we've shared, because of the mountaintop moments God's allowed us to have, because of the gut punches that we've walked through, the weight of her words, the capacity of what she would, what, what would be behind those same words would be so much greater. Think something encouraging about your spouse. Say it, say it, say it. Second is just as important. When you consider something special for your spouse, do it. When you consider something special for your spouse, do it. Dave Ramsey might not like me to say this, but in my opinion, there's some things to go into debt for, short term. Some things to splurge on, and your spouse should be top of that list. When you consider something special for your spouse, do it. What is special? How do you define special? You know, 
Maybe it's a, 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 a big purchase or a planned trip. Doesn't have to be, but it could be. So, so, <laughs> somebody's got a bir- milestone birthday coming up. Doesn't have to be, but it could be. It doesn't have to be an elaborate surprise or a planned whatever. It, it, how, what makes it special is how your spouse is wired. That's what answers that question. Is it, is it time spent? Then that's what makes it special. Is it something given? That's what makes it special. Is it doing projects together? Activities? That's what makes it special. But I want to get it down to the granular. You consider something special for your spouse, do it. Sometimes we know exactly what will soften the moment. We know exactly what will introduce tenderness into that conversation, into that time, and we just won't do it. And I want to encourage you. It could be a word, could be an expression, could be insider language, could be something that could make that sharp edge into a rounded edge. When you, can, when you think something encouraging about your spouse, say it. When you consider something special for your spouse, do it. Book of James says, if you don't do what you know is right, you've sinned. It's in the big and the small. It's in the planned and the spontaneous. Consider something special for your spouse. Do it. The third thing is this. When you want something different from your spouse, be it. You and I will never criticize our way to a better marriage. It's easy. Point a finger, start wagging it. If you don't like what you're getting, I want to encourage you to look at what you're given. Listen, don't mishear me. Some things need to be talked about. There are times for hard conversations. But as a general principle, instead of being quick to put a bullseye on your spouse's face, ask yourself, what is it that I'm giving to my spouse? Romans 12.10 says this, be tenderly affectioned one to another in honor, preferring one another. I've highlighted those four words, tenderly, affectioned, honor, preferring. Can those four words be used to describe your marriage? Can any of those words be used to describe your relationship? There was a time when you did pursue your spouse if you're married. There was a time when your spouse was the human being that you thought about the most. There was a time when you may have done some crazy things in order to pursue him or her. I can remember when I was in grad school and Suzanne was finishing up undergrad. I was in grad school in Ithaca, New York, upstate New York. If you're familiar at all with upstate New York, there's in Ithaca particularly, there's about three months of the year where it's beautiful. And the rest, there's just sleet, snow, ice, lake effect snow, snow squalls. You just put your head down and you get from point A to point B. And Suzanne was going to school in Syracuse, New York, about an hour north of there. So it was like Ithaca on steroids. It was, you know, and we didn't have social media and instant messaging and FaceTime. You're just like, I'm leaving at such and such a time and I'll see you when I see you. And I get in my little four-gear 
Honda Civic box of steel I call Bessie. I said, all right, Bessie, come on, get me there. And there's a highway that connects Ithaca to Syracuse, Route 81. I remember it well. Six lanes, average speed about 85 miles an hour. 18-wheelers and semis just kind of going with all the elements, and you're just white-knuckling it. I'm going to get there because I want to see her. I remember one time, a deer jumped over the guardrail and <laughs> tried to go across six lanes of highway. A couple vehicles ahead of me, it met an 18-wheeler. And when the impact happened, Bambi shot up in the air. And at about 80 miles an hour, I saw Bambi ah, flying over my vehicle. I looked in the rearview mirror to see that deer hit the pavement and pieces of venison going everywhere. I wish I could say that was the scariest situation I experienced, just desiring to see Suzanne, but it wasn't. Sometimes we do some crazy things in pursuit of our spouse. You can't criticize someone into doing what it is you want them to do or to stop doing something that you want them to stop. I want to encourage you to pursue your spouse today with an extra measure of care, with an extra measure of empathy, with an extra measure of compassion, with an extra measure of tenderness, with an extra measure of love. Watch what happens. You want something different from your spouse, be it. So there's a priority key, there's a pursuit key, and the final one is this, there's a partnership key. There's a partnership key. Here's a bold statement, but I think unfortunately it represents too, too many relationships. Too often, too many of us are projecting partnership, but we are practicing divorce. We are projecting partnership. No, we're we're living together under the same roof. We're projecting that we're partners. We're getting the things that done that got to get done. You know, gas got to get in the tank and food's got to get in the fridge. We're projecting partnership. If you got kids, you know, we're taking them here, taking them there. We're projecting partnership. But by our actions, by our words, by the attitudes of our heart, we're actually practicing divorce. God tells us how this thing called marriage is best walked out. In Ephesians 5.21, he says this, submit to one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of awe, out of wonder. We've got to be committed and submitted and surrendered to God. And then from that relationship to submit to each other, just as Christ did just as Christ did, submitted his will. We talked about this in the previous series, that God's plan is bigger than, that God's purpose is bigger than your plan, that God's purpose is bigger than your feelings. Jesus walked this out in the garden. I don't want this. Let this cup pass from me. Take this away from me. Nevertheless, I'm submitted to you. Nevertheless, I recognize your purpose is greater than my feelings. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
the only way that you and I can commit to the covenant that we make to God and to each other is to submit our, wills to, our will to his by submitting to each other. This is always going to be a choice. This is always going to take hard work, as Paul said, right? Marriage is going to present its challenges. How do we best submit to each other? God tells us how it should look in the very next couple of verses. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Oh, yes, he went there. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. I went there because it's the very next couple of verses. I went there because it's what God says. But I also went there because these are two of the most abused and misused verses in the Bible. These verses don't give husbands the freedom or the right or the authority to keep their wives under their thumb. These verses should not be translated as husbands are better, greater than their wives. These verses are not about power. They're not about control. They're not about a husband's demand for their wives' submission. Submission is not demanded or coerced or bullied. Submission is given. Submission is a choice. Instead, what these verses actually point to, husbands, men, is a greater expectation, a greater obligation, a greater responsibility that God places upon you. God places the responsibility on the husband to set the spiritual climate for his marriage, for his home, for his family, to chart the spiritual direction for his household, and to have a really, really good answer to a very sobering question. And that question is this, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? I mean, all of us are going to answer that question in our individual relationships with God. But regarding the marriage, regarding the family, regarding the household, God's going to ask you, men. And I say this as a husband myself. I say this as a father. I say this as a pastor, which the Bible says I'm going to be judged doubly as harsh. Not just for my own family, my own marriage, but for the opportunity that God's given to me and the pastors on this staff to shepherd this church. What did you do with what I gave you? This is a sobering question that should cause all Christian men to be pulled up short, to stand up and step up and rise up to this question. Just, in the, just like in the beginning, just like in the garden. Adam, where are you? When the serpent and Eve are having their little word salad conversation. Did he really say that? He really mean that? He just doesn't want you to be like him. Adam, where are you? The implication there is, Adam, where were you? Adam, how could you have allowed this? Adam, 
Why were you asleep at the wheel? There's a whole host of reasons for those divorce statistics. In my opinion, not least of which is passive men. Men that have not yet stepped up to the fullness of that expectation, that responsibility, that obligation that God places upon them to have a good answer to that question. What did you do with what I entrusted to you? Take that name Adam out and put your name in there. Where are you? Where are you in setting the spiritual direction for your home, for your marriage? Where are you? As men step to that, God's instruction, God's design is for wives to submit to that. Again, submission is not coerced, not demanded. It's given. God created marriage. God defines marriage. God tells us how marriage is best walked out. Life is hard. I want to encourage all of us to go to the one who is the answer. He doesn't just have the answers. He is the answer. So that's the responsibility of wives. What's the responsibility of husbands? Well, a couple verses later. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What did he do? He gave up his life for her. Small little matter. He just died. To love sacrificially. To be surrendered to God in a sanctified way. More today than yesterday. More tomorrow than today. So that I can have any hope of loving Suzanne sacrificially. For both spouses, we choose in a moment, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, to surrender. Call that salvation. And then we get up every morning answering the question, what did that salvation decision mean for me today? Weeks, months, years, decades later. Jesus is the standard, and when we fall short of that standard, we commit to the covenant again. We, re- we choose, and then we re-choose. We commit, and then we recommit each and every day. Then, when we do that, then we're actually in relationship with God. We're not just talking about it. We're not just coming to church, singing about it. We're actually in relationship with Him. The same is true for our marriages. We choose to enter into a covenant with our spouse in a moment. We call that a wedding. In our world, we spend a lot of time, a lot of focus, a lot of energy, a lot of money on that day. But the same is true. We get up every morning after that day answering the question, what did that decision mean for me today? And that is called a marriage. And that decision is an everyday decision. That decision is a layer by layer, moment by moment, day by day decision. 
for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, forsaking all others, committing to the covenant that I make with God, that you make with God and with your spouse from this day forward. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for creating and defining and instructing us on how marriage is best walked out. I ask that no matter the current state of each marriage represented here today, each relationship represented here today, in person, online, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, encourage us to evaluate our marriages not by our feelings, not by our emotions, but rather by our commitment and our daily recommitment to the covenant relationship we make with you and with our spouse. That we would commit by making our marriages a growing priority, befitting the most important human relationship that we have. That we would look for daily ways to pursue our spouses, ways that best match how our spouses are wired. And that we would choose the truth of your word as the guide on how to best partner with our spouses. Not in some worldly manner or by some abusive reading of scripture, but by a commitment to the covenant that we make with you and with our spouse from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we're going to have some prayer team members up here. My wife, Suzanne, and I are going to be up here. If you'd like a blessing over your marriage, even if your spouse isn't here today, specific blessing, we'd, we'd be honored to do that. If you've got anything going on in your life that we can meet you, match our spirit to yours, match our heart and our prayer to yours, agree with you in prayer about it would be our honor to do that. But we're going to continue to worship the Lord now, singing songs that elevate his name, singing songs that bring glory to him. Because it is only in doing that that you and I have any hope of meeting the needs of our spouse and of doing it consistently, committing to that covenant.